you know, even though we made probably more money than, it, for sure more money than an average American, it's like still stuff we had to do to, yeah. you know, to like pursue what we want to pursue, pursue what we believe in. So it's not, you just wake up one day and decide you're gonna do entrepreneurship. There's an entire generation of Americans who no longer care about prestige, titles, work travel, fancy offices, and lunches. Welcome to Mundane Millionaires, a podcast for this generation of small business owners who want to set their ego aside and focus on what matters, family, community, quality of life, and cash flows. In each episode, Eric Pasifici and Kevin Henderson uncover what it takes to get a little money in the bank, control your time, and invest in building great families and lives. Let's get started. Welcome to the first episode, Mundane Millionaires. This podcast, you know, our, I think our objective is to have some, some different types of conversations with some entrepreneurs and people who are doing things in and SMB, whatever, that are redefining the definition of wealth. You know, there is a generation of people that no longer care about the corner office. They don't care about the fancy lunch. They don't want to travel for work. They want to make a good living. They want to control their time. They want to have the upside and the downside. They don't want to sit in traffic because somebody else told them to come back to the office and they're ready for something that's different and kind of fits their life and their family. And so. Well, I think that's I th what's going to make this so different, right? Because we're not starting this podcast because we don't like the other podcasts, right? Like there are great podcasts in the community that do great things. It's just a little different, right? And like, I want to talk to entrepreneurs and hear their their stories right aside from like walk us through the sim and like how to evaluate yep. a business or yep. how did you which is how great. did you think about structuring your deal right i want to hear about like what happened in your childhood that made you quit your corporate you know you know what i mean well, like i'm being tongue-in-cheek but like yeah totally you know what's the story behind why you ended up wanting to build a hold co or roll up hvac companies or you know what i mean yeah. like it's just it's it, and we've had a few of these conversations now, and it's funny because everybody gets into that. They're like, totally. Something happened in my childhood, and here's why I'm an entrepreneur. And it's, you know, it's really, and, and it resonates with me too, right? And so I hope this pod is an opportunity for people to see that entrepreneurship is not some crazy idea pie in the sky that ordinary, everyday people are doing it. And frankly, you know, 24 months ago, I was that guy sitting totally. in traffic going, I'm stuck. I worked for, you know, arguably one of the best law firms in the world. I make an enormous amount of money. I've got a great family. I've got, you know, a, a incredible education and I'm stuck. Right. And, you know, I want to, you know, and even for me, it was like doing, doing something like this entrepreneur, like you and I are doing now felt completely impossible. And that's so, what, that's what I was going to say. I mean, that's where I was 24 months ago, e even already working with some small business entrepreneurs and seeing what people were doing, there was that element of like, yeah, but not me. Right. I could right. never do that. Right. I don't have the, I don't have the right size savings account to do that. I don't have the right skill set. I, I don't have the right salesmanship, right? Like so many people are held back by their own like limiting beliefs of like, oh, well, yeah, that's awesome that, you know, Gurdley could build what he built. Right. This like incredible hold co empire, but I could never do. That, yeah. And right? he's, right. yeah, he's different than I am. Right. He was, you know, he had some advantage. I actually get that feedback all the time. It's like, I'd love to be an entrepreneur, but I don't, I don't have 5 million bucks. Well, no, nobody, nobody does, you know, and right, we've right. been doing this now. I think you and I lose sight of the fact that like we're a year into entrepreneurship and everybody says those first 18 months are just like the worst of your life. And I think that sometimes we lose the forest with the trees, right. You know, as we're kind of grinding, but you know, I am, you know, an evangelist for entrepreneurship now, but because once you do it and you have that lifestyle, you know, you could probably never do anything else. So we had an awesome first guest. I had a ton of fun talking to somebody that I consider to be a good friend. I don't know. He feels the same way, but I certainly feel that way about him. Chris Munn of Fairfield Company. And we talked about a lot. And frankly, I wish we could have kept 
going because at the end he gets spicy. You know, yeah. he gets into entrepreneurship and, you know, a lot of what we're talking about, you know, the difficulty that people have with realizing the accessibility about it and how some people in social media and on Twitter are detractors. You know, they're not, they're not, you know, you don't want to overly promote or create an overly rosy picture for people, but certainly provide resources and support and help for aspiring entrepreneurs is, is a good thing. Well, that's what's so, that's what's so great about Chris, right? And we get into this in the podcast is you see, you see people that fall into one of those two camps, right? They're either like insane cheerleader or just like Debbie Downer, right? That's just like, this is impossible. It's the hardest thing in the world or like any idiot with a laptop can do this. It's the easiest thing in the world. He's such a great, such a great balance of like wanting to encourage and wanting to help people with a real, like anyone can do this attitude, but not everyone will. Right. He also brings this level of realism to like, yeah, anyone can do this, but it's, it's really fucking hard. Right. And, and I, I love that about Chris. Yeah. It's also Cinco de Mayo. That's the backstory. Today's five, five. So we're having some beverages. It's a fun conversation. We dive we, into whether it's a Paloma or a Paloma. I still don't know the <laughs> answer to that. We joked uh-huh. about our, our kind of ethos being, we're going to have great conversations and drink whiskey. And here we are kicking off our first, first guest on, on Cinco de Mayo with, with tequila instead of whiskey. Yeah. So who's, who knows where that takes us? Yeah. And, and, and I hope folks will listen. Chris talks about his, his dad's story, which I wish we had had more time to talk about his, yeah. his backstory, how he gets into entrepreneurship because of his dad's story, which was gut wrenching. And I had like a series of questions and then you got in there. I took us in a different direction, which I thought was great too, but. I was kind of hung up on what he told us about his dad and kind of his career at GM. And so a lot of interesting, interesting stuff. And yeah, hope everybody enjoys the episode. Yep. So Cinco de Mayo. So I'm drinking a Paloma, which is singular, not Palomai. That's the plural, I think, of Paloma. I'm kidding. And Kevin, what are you drinking? Hibiscus margarita. Normally a whiskey drinker, but in honor of the day. Cinco de Mayo. Chris, what do you? I have concealed spicy margarita. Spicy margarita. Oh yeah, Kevin, you guys have been on that hibiscus margarita kick. I see the pictures on Instagram. My, Was that is that a terror thing? It's yeah, it's my wife's favorite. There's a a place around Dallas called Mexican Sugar where you can do a margarita flight of different types of margaritas, and one of them's a hibiscus, and she's fallen in love with it. So we. Been is ordering, she, trying different hibiscus is she making, flowers, and yeah, is she making hamica and then make and putting tequila in it, or is she just doing like a hibiscus? Eric doesn't know what we're talking about, or does, yeah. does she just do like a hibiscus like syrup or something? It's a it's a hibiscus syrup, yeah. Okay. So we make a simple syrup from scratch and yep. infuse the hibiscus flower into the syrup. So okay. yeah, it's not an infused tequila. That's like that's like level up. I'll probably yeah, yeah. try, but you know. I'm too yeah. busy getting deals done, guys, to be. Well, you should, you should try, around. you should make a, you should make a Jamaica, which is just hibiscus and sugar and water. Basically, it's like tea. And okay. then, and then put mezcal in it. Pretty good. Level up. All right. Pretty good. Chris, are, you a, are you a cocktail connoisseur? I didn't know that about you. No, we just live in, or me and Kevin just live in a proper state or have lived in a proper state. So we know about different things. Not like us redneck Floridians. Correct. That's right. Living in a swamp. That's right. Living There's more than Jose Cuervo, Eric. So we we both so we both one of the things I like about you the most, Chris, is we both grew up in Detroit. You took a laugh. You went to Ohio. You did not grow up in Detroit. You go to Howell. Huh? You did not grow up in Detroit. Well, so I grew up in the suburbs of Detroit. Fair enough. There that's, you go. That's a very important distinction. I grew up in the suburbs of Detroit. You grew up in Detroit proper. And you, you, look, are we the same age, Chris? How old are you? Yeah, 35. 35. Same age. We're growing up in, in Metro Detroit at the same time. You go to Howard and then you go to Wall Street. Yeah. Yeah. Private equity. And then you eventually, after how many years? Oh, I worked on Wall Street four years and then I worked in corporate MA for like three years. So, like seven years I worked. And, and when you say, when you say Wall Street, are we talking like you were in New York, Wall Street proper, yeah, or are we York, just talking oh, like PE? 
No, I worked in New York. I worked at a hedge fund. Okay. Yeah. Were you, you were in France at one point too, right? Yeah, that was, that was after when I quit, when I finally quit corporate. So I, so, so yes, I graduated from Howard. I worked in New York for like four years. And then I worked in Atlanta in corporate M&A where we bought small businesses, which is kind of how I found out about buying small businesses. And so when we were down there, me and my wife, we, we don't have any kids. So we lived on one salary and we saved it. And then we both wanted to be entrepreneurs. And before doing that, though, we said, why don't we just do something fun? So we moved to, we moved to Paris and we lived there before we moved to LA. Awesome. Were so you working in Paris or? No. Who works in Paris? Who works in Paris? Come on, Eric. <laughs> what, a, what a dumb question. Got, this, that's a this is just going to be a podcast of Eric getting cultured. And, yeah. <laughs> that's a, and that's true. Is that in France? Is that right? Uh, you, so you do that. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I'm, I'm curious because you said you you both were interested in being entrepreneurs. I, I know your your wife's a very accomplished photographer. So what was she doing at the time? Was she not kind of working for for herself? While you were doing the corporate M and A gig, or no, she worked. She worked for she she worked for basically Time Turner, whatever. She worked for a magazine, part of, part of Time magazines in New York, and then at Atlanta, she worked for CNN. But she did finance like I did, and so she was working working there. And then we both just left, never went back. Oh, so she so she wasn't even doing photography at that point. She was no, no, she was no. in finance. Yeah, yeah, she did finance, but she hated it. And so we had conversations every day and she's very creative and she used to talk about work and I'm just like, just quit. Like it, you know, life's too short. This podcast might be become about your wife here, actually. Is she, she's is she she's there? more, is she, yeah, well, she, she's, she's, she wouldn't consider herself presentable, but yeah, she's upstairs. Yeah, no, I'm only kidding. But so she, cause she just did some pretty prolific photography with this celebrity. I can't remember who it was. But like a really cool shoot. How many years has she been doing photography? She's been doing it. So like she's been like a hobbyist for like, I don't know, 15 years. But like serious full time, maybe like four years. And interestingly, like she kind of got her break. So photography is like super hard to break into. It's like, it's it's crazy. But she was doing photography and then George Floyd got killed. And when George Floyd got killed, there was like this big push for like black people shooting photography, like black people taking pictures of black people, women taking pictures of women and just more representation of who's behind the scenes. And so like, she really, she was doing like really low local stuff. And then all of a sudden she got vanity fair. I think it was with when George Floyd died. And then after that, it was just like, she's done a ton of stuff. So she works with big brands. She works on mag. She's got magazine covers. She does a lot of stuff, so that's pretty cool. No, that's that's incredible. Yeah. And that big break that was kind of post leaving corporate and and the Paris thing, or was that before yeah. you guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was so. Yeah, we got to LA in 2018, and George Floyd died in 2020, 2021. It was during COVID. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So whenever George Floyd died, that's yeah, when, it was early 2020. Like, her business. Kind of coincided yeah. with the start of the pandemic, as I recall. That's what I thought. Yeah. So, and then, yeah. And ever since then, our business just blew well, up. Okay. So she blows up, Chris, and, you know, kind of gets really busy. Give us the time frame, right? Because you buy your first, with Fairfield Companies, you buy yeah. your first acquisition in March of 2020. So it would have been right around that same time that she's getting very busy. You're getting very busy. Tell us about that. Yeah. So yeah, February, 2020 was when we bought the first business for Fairfield. And so it was a lot of traveling in the beginning for me to Florida and, you know, she got really busy as well. Like her business picked up a lot, but that being said, unlike YouTube, we don't have any kids. So like the, us like both being gone from the house for 10 hours is not like, we don't have a dog either. So like us being gone from the house for 10 hours is like not a big deal. So the only thing that's hard to navigate sometimes is like breaks for work. So we, she'll work into the night. I'll work into the night. I get up early. She stays up late. And so that part is sometimes hard to navigate because it's like when it's work end for us. But 
I try to keep my Saturdays pretty clear work. So that's how I'm trying to navigate that. But yeah, during the week, it just like flows. So you, so, you control that time. You said, I just keep my Saturdays free from work. I mean, you're in LA and you're remotely managing a commercial cleaning business, two commercial cleaning businesses in Tampa. Yeah. Like, first of all, there are so many people that when you tell that story, I feel like on social media are like, this guy's a liar. You know what I mean? He's yeah. not really running a business remotely. How is that? How's, how's that work? You run a business remotely, right? <laughs> Touche. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I don't know. I think this kind of overblown, like running businesses remotely has always existed. And like, like all the Walmarts are in Bentonville. Like there's probably two in Benton. I don't know. I don't know how many are in Bentonville, but like they're mostly not in Benton. All the McDonald's aren't in Chicago. And all the all the planes on uh, that UPS flies don't fly out of Atlanta. So I don't I it's kind of weird to me that people like have this like running things remotely. Like there's those are the examples like that go back hundreds of years. Like all the railroads, you know, weren't run yeah. from 45th Avenue or wherever Dale Carnegie lives. Like they, they run all around the, around the country and that's how business is now. So I think people think it's like this crazy thing, but like it happens all around you. You just have to pay attention and like take best practices from what McDonald's does or what Walmart does. They figured it out. So just like following their footsteps and do what they do. It's not reinventing the wheel. And with the technology that we have now, it's not that crazy. I don't, I kind of, it kind of blows my mind that people, especially our age that grew up with technology, think it's so, like, not, it's not. It's it's a compelling argument. I Like, the gears are actually turning in my head as you kind of talk through the examples and the fact that we're remote. Because there is this belief that. How many, you know, gear, you go, how many gears do you go up to? Like, second gear? Or can oh, you I've get got, up to I'm, third? I'm on, I'm on dial. Yeah, I'm on dial up internet over here. It's not, it's not high octane. Somebody described me the other day. Eric's a BMX bicycle. They're no, they're, you know, it's one gear. <laughs> he like, well, has no, to push, somebody, somebody he pushes me the there pedals back like, to brake. <laughs> they were like, you're a Ferrari with no brakes. Like you, you need to like, and I was like, that is an interesting. Uh, that's actually a compliment. I was thinking more like, soap, I was thinking I was more like say. soapbox derby. <laughs> it's a compliment in a sense, right? And you unpack it. You're like, I think he just described me as out of control, but so. That's interesting. You leave corporate, you take a hiatus in France. Yeah. And what was the, what was the goal? I mean, leaving wall street and say, Hey, I'm going to, you know, forego all this prestige and guaranteed money to kind of go do something unconventional. Like what's, what's, what's the driving force behind that? Yeah. So, I mean, one, I, I, I'm very, I mean, well, this is kind of annoying to my wife sometimes, but like, I, I really don't care what people think. Like that doesn't, it plays no factor into my decision-making. Like I don't, what other people do makes no difference to me. But I think one other part was like, so my dad worked for General Motors for like 30 years, right? And then when he was like in his mid fifties, he got laid off. And so, you know, he wasn't ready to retire because my dad had kids pretty late. Like my, my dad had me when he was like 35 and then had my sister when he was, I think 40. So my sister was still in high school. So like, wasn't a time for him to quit working, but like when you're 55, it's like, you're not going to get the job that you, that you once had. So he like struggled to find work for a while. And then he got sick and my dad passed maybe like nine years ago now. And when he died, so this is a crazy story. So when he died, I was grown. Like I was like 26, I think I want to say. And he had no, well, like the, we found out when GM went through bankruptcy, they canceled all the life insurance policies like that, the, that were held uh, corporate level. Right. So he had an individual one that wasn't as much, but like, I mean, I, it didn't matter to me. I, w I was working, I had a job and like my mom was fine. Like she was fine. So it wasn't like a huge detriment to my family, but I was like, wow, these companies like will treat you like shit. Like you work somewhere 30 years and you'll get treated like shit. And so when I saw that, I was like, so every, every decision that I made, I was like, oh, 
Like it didn't matter what anybody told me. And like the summer before I started working was the Lehman Brothers thing. And Andrew, yeah. my business partner, worked at Lehman that summer as an intern. And he would tell me what they were telling them. And just like straight lies about like what was going on and what's going on behind the scenes. And it made me just feel like you're just like a piece of like you're just you're a cog in a huge wheel. And if you fall out, like the machine keeps running, like it would take a lot of the cogs to fall out for anybody to notice. And I just never wanted to live like that. So I was like, I don't want to, I never wanted to work for people like ever. And so I just saw that experience and saw like how my dad got treated. I saw how my friend got treated and like not telling them the truth about what's going on at a company. And I was like, okay, I'm not, it, then I'm not a stakeholder here. And I don't want to sit places where I don't have any, I'm not holding any stakes. So yeah, I was like, no, I'll, I'll just work for myself. I didn't know what it was going to look like, but I knew it wasn't going to be working for somebody else. That was, that was not my goal. So how, how do you, how do you prepare for that transition though, Chris? Cause a lot of people are probably listening to this thinking like, well, cool, but you worked at a hedge fund, right? So, yeah, you know, you were, you were sleeping on beds of, you know, Benjamins and whatever it makes it pretty easy to walk away from your corporate life. Yeah. You know, what about that, that person that's kind of mid-level manager at GM or whatever that's like yeah, yeah I mean this resonates with me I hate the corporate life but like what am I going to do right yeah. how do I how am I going to go buy a three million dollar business like what what did you do to 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 prepare like what do you say to that person yeah for sure I mean we did have to make like we we made like like when I mentioned I mean granted we we made decent money but we lived on one salary like that that's a sacrifice that you made I could have like we don't have a house. I made that sacrifice. Like is we that by design, though, Chris? Are you a pro pro renter, or are you? I'm a pro. Money? I'm a pro. And makes the most financial sense. Yeah. And for us, where we are, it makes more financial sense to rent. And I know somebody listening is going to be like, "Oh no, it doesn't." Yes, it does. Like you can. <laughs> well, you're you're also in the heart of Los Angeles, right? Where like Correct. the barrier yes. to entry home ownership uh, is ultra yes, high. it's very high. And if you took the money that you would use for a down payment and bought a business or invested in the stock market, you'd be far better off than you would if you bought the house. But, you know, conventional wisdom says otherwise, but once again, I don't really care what conventional wisdom says, like I just do it for myself. So if, if, if having a house made more sense, I would do that, but we don't have a house. We don't have kids. We lived on one salary. Like those are sacrifices that we made that people, you know, even though we made probably more money than, for sure more money than an average American, it's like still stuff we had to do to, yeah. you know, to like pursue what we want to pursue, pursue what we believe in. So it's not, you just wake up one day and decide you're going to do entrepreneurship. Yeah. I just, just recently closed a deal actually, where the, the buyers sold their house. That was their, that was their equity injection. Yeah. And they, they made that sacrifice and we're like, you know what, we're going to go back to the rental life. We're going to move closer to where the the businesses and that's our that's our cash equity injection was the the equity we had in the house it made more financial sense and it really yeah. really eye-opening to to me because i i grew up in that generation and that culture that like of yeah. course you buy a house well like everybody. yeah yeah and and our our parents and grand like my grandparents my grandmother worked at like jacobson's which is like macy's yeah and she had a house and then my other grandmother worked on the like the assembly line at four and she had a house and like people that do that now don't like the lady at Macy's is not buying a house. So there's no way. Yeah. yeah it was a different, it was a different calculus for sure. Totally different pro. I mean, for me, it was, I remember thinking that like a $400,000 house was like, you, you, you made it like you're yeah. rich. And 100%. now, and, and that was you know, 20, 25 years ago. And now, I mean, you, you know, that's, yeah. you know, it's tough. So. And that's two grand, a $400,000 house. It's like, that's a two grand a month note. It's a big mortgage. And yeah. It's yeah. like, that's not cheap. So everybody can't afford that. But like, yeah, that's certainly like. I mean, what so, would that so get I you in LA? 400000 in LA. It'll get you a plane ticket out of town. <laughs> not getting you anything place. here. Yeah, so, that'd, that'd get you a move to Bakersfield. That's what Yeah, that exactly. You. You'd be living in Fresno. But no, so it's. Chris it's it is, yeah, it's just a different capitalism. How does your, so I, I love the part about your dad and kind of how that ethos was just ingrained into you, equity ownership. I had a call earlier today with the prolific entrepreneur. He had a, he actually went to, I won't 
say which one because I don't want to give away a story. It's fairly, I think, unique. But he went to an elite law school, was like the only person in his class to not go to a big firm, went to a startup, had an exit, and now he's running a pretty prominent company. Brilliant. He said, he's, I'll never say this publicly because my employees could be listening, but it's called capitalism. It's not called laborism for a reason. And if you're going to make build wealth in this country, you, you've got to own equity. So that I think resonates you know, deeply. But for me, it's like building wealth is fantastic, but the time control, you know, how does your life differ? You're full, you're commuting from LA to Tampa every it's about as long a commute as you could get. Yeah. That sounds impossible to me, but you're doing it regularly. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would guess, I'd love to hear your, your commentary, but that's got to be more enjoyable and you still have more control over your time than when you were working on Wall Street. A thousand percent. Like, yes, you're a hundred percent right. If you're not on the cap table, like you are not, you are not an equity, you're not a stakeholder. And so you're, you're on the ship that somebody else is controlling. And if it ends up in the middle of the ocean, like that could have happened unbeknownst to you and without any of your input. So I like being able to be in control of like my destiny, whatever that poem is, captain of my fate, master of my fate, captain of my soul, whatever that thing is. But teach me about that. Yeah, but I think for me, I don't know. This is where I differ from a lot. Like I've, I've commented on your post sometimes where I certainly think that like, the beauty of buying a business is that you can make it what you want to make it. And I think that gets lost on like in social media and what people talk about. Like they're a bit, when I bought the, the, the last business, the owner worked three hours a day, four days a week. That's all he worked. And so, and that's what he wanted to do. And he made a million dollars a year doing it. Right. And so like, obviously he put the time in early so that he could do that. But like, that's the life that he wanted. And there's like this ethos in the S and B like, oh, like you're on call 24. Every time I see somebody who's like, I got a call at 3 a.m. and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, dude, I don't know what, I don't know what kind of systems you have set up, but that's not how it's supposed to go. Like the guy and granted, we're not, a, it's not a huge company. Like you are going to have to get in the weeds some, but like, you know, people who run their businesses officially and like the best capital allocators, like Warren Buffett is sleeping at night. I guarantee like he, he has much more responsibility than I do. You don't think he's sitting up scrolling SMB Twitter? With it, with his diet Coke? Maybe. <laughs> but, but like, yeah, I just don't, I just don't believe in that. And I don't believe that you should let your work dictate your life. Like you dictate what happens in your life. Like you're in control. So all the, when I see people that are like, I think you even posted it like, oh, I can't turn off work and like all this stuff. I'm like, you're not in control. You have lost control. So maybe you are a Ferrari with no brakes. Well, so what you're referring to is I posted that I have a perpetual feeling of guilt when I'm not working. And and it, yeah. So my career before law school was sales. And then I grew up with, you know, not a ton of money, financial security, single mom, you know? So for me, providing for my family, producing was always like, I got to go get that 400,000, how do I get that $400,000 house, right? Like, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. only where my brain was when I was 12, 15, 17. Like, what do I got to do? And so then I go into sales where it's like, produce, 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 working for a company where they're like more, 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 more. You do 10, yeah. they want 12, you do 12, they want 15. And so, and then I go to law school, right? And I go to law school understanding that the students who do well, get extraordinary jobs and make tons of money. And the students who do not struggle mightily, right? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I get married right at the beginning of that. So now I've got the responsibility of a family right at the onset of law school, knowing, communicating to my wife that like, we have to do well, which means I have to outstudy because you guys, I'm, I'm on dial up here, as you guys joke, I... I got to, I got to outwork these people. These are the smartest, you know, people in the country. I'm at a top 10 law school. And so I'm studying constantly, right? Like I'm not goofing around. Like people are in the library chit-chatting. I'm like at the third level in the basement with the, like the lights off, like reading, you know what I mean? And then I go into practice and they're like 24 seven, the Paul Hastings memo where it's like 24 seven, give us everything. 
And then flash forward to like, you know, when I left to start SMB Law Group, now I'm an entrepreneur. Now I got to build a business and sink or flow. It's, it's largely me, my partner, Kevin, who's terrific. And I have no ability based on that upbringing to not feel bad when I'm not producing. And that is not healthy and it's not normal. Yeah. Right. And it's also enormously counterproductive to the other important elements of your life, like family and whatever. So, so that's what you're referring to. And I forget what the question was, but you know, what, go ahead, Kim. I was just gonna say, I mean, it highlights a very real phenomenon and I, and I, I candidly struggle with a lot right now and where we are trying to scale our business be, because, you know, there is enough work to fill 20 hours in the right? And like, how do you, how do you get to the point where you can triage and, you know, figure out the right kind of scheduling and delegation to get back to where you're, you're working a normal day and prioritizing the other things that are important in your life, like family and health and things like that, because it, it is easy to, you know, become that Ferrari with no brakes. Cause if you, if, if, if you don't figure out those boundaries, I mean, there, there's enough work to fill the time. And I struggle with that a lot today, right? Just like where I am right now and scaling the business. So like I'll, I'll find myself at one in the morning, you know, sending yeah. emails, like what the hell did I do wrong today? You know, for sure. I, I, I don't mean, know how to, yeah, there, there's, and to be fair, like there's times where I'm up, right. And like, but like an interesting thing, I'm like writing, writing something right now about, about this. So like I was, I did some research yesterday. The Warriors are playing the Lakers in the playoffs. They're tied 1-1, one, one, right? The war the Lakers have spent or this year they're 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 spending like $170 million on their players, right? For for their labor. The Warriors this year are spending like $380 million on their players. So if I just told you those two facts and they're both in the playoffs and they're tied one one, like Eric, what does that mean to you? Uh, it means one got better value. Well, well, one one finds far much better productivity for their labor. One one is producing their labor produces way better than the other. Interesting. And so in the in sports, the only way to win is for you to get more productivity out of your labor than the other than the other team. That's the only way to win because there's a cap at which you can spend. And just Kevin, like in the, there's, I'm gonna need you to work more hours, Kevin. I think is what Chris is getting at. There's there's 24 there's 24 hours in a day. Part of that is sleep. Part of that is family. Part of that is eating. Part of that is hopefully like going to the gym or whatever. And so, how much productivity do you get out of your 10 hours? And if somebody's like far ahead of you, and they're you see them with their family and out, like they figure something out. Their their labor productivity is high. And yours is inefficient. And so to me, all that matters is how much productivity you are getting out. And there's every, everybody has the same amount of hours, 24. And granted, yes, some people might work 18 and some people might work 10 and that compounds. But like the people who look like they have balanced lives and who are taking care of their families and make enough money, the hours that they dedicate to their career, they're the most productive people, you know. And the people who are like scrabbling all around at 3 a.m. and up back at six, they're just inefficient. There's no way around that. And like there are times I'm super inefficient. And when I recognize that, I have to like notice it and like, okay, I got to do better to get more productivity out of the time that I have. And that's in everything. Like if I go to the gym for an hour, I need to figure out like, how do I maximize that? And it's no different at work. So if, if, if I would be more productive handing this off to someone else, and getting 80% of the productivity that I would have, that's fine. I have to do that. But working all the time is just inefficient labor productivity. That's I, I'm a thousand percent believer in that. And if you, and if you can't control that, then you're just, you're, you're not as good and not as smart as you think you are. Chris, Chris what that's was your life like out of wall street day to day? And what is it? Wow. So Wall Street, I got to work at seven every day, seven five days a week. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't work. I didn't work on the weekends. So I'll start with that. I didn't work weekends. I got to work at seven. 
productivity, labor productivity for the first 10 hours was awful because in finance, everything just, shit just rolls downhill and it rolls downhill throughout the day. And then five o'clock, six o'clock, here comes everybody with all their issues and problems that you as the bottom man on the total ball have to figure out. So I got to work at seven. My day wasn't super productive during the day, but like, I'm not, I'm not sitting there looking to buy a business. Like I'm still working or I'm still acting like I'm working or doing something. And then I left, I would start like what I would say, like real boom, boom, boom work at probably like five o'clock, six o'clock. And then I would leave around 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. And so that was every day. And so then I'll, yeah, yeah. 10 PM. I like, I think we, at nine o'clock we would get a car home. So like a free ride home, basically. It's not free because I work for it, but a ride home. And I remember, I, I vividly remember, I did not take that car one time the whole time I worked there. So I, I left, I left work one time before nine. And I would eat breakfast at work, eat lunch at work, eat dinner at work. But I quickly found like I have no control over my time, no control over my life. Because on the weekend, Saturday would come around. Here's my wife who was, she was my girlfriend at the time, but oh, do you want to go to the movies? And you can imagine, like, if you've just worked 16 hours, five days straight, you don't want to go to the movies. You don't even want to go get right. your haircut. You don't want to go to the cleaners. I don't want to do anything but sit on this couch and, like, just relax. But so quickly I realized, like, this is not, I'll do this for the money and for the time, but this is not my end goal, so I got to get out. And so now I wake up, I, I start work probably 6, 5.36, I usually go to the gym like at 11, like around now. I'll go to the gym throughout the day. And then I'll, so I'll work from like five to 11. What's that? Six hours. Yeah. And then I'll go to the gym and then I'll work a couple hours at the gym. So now I've worked like seven hours and then I'll usually like do something for me. I'll either like go to a grocery store or I'll go to the driving range or go play nine holes. And then usually about six o'clock, seven o'clock, if I still have work to do, I'm like a couple, couple hours of workout, but that's it. I don't, I don't, I don't sit at, I don't sit at work for 15 hours in a row anymore. I just, and also I'm not, I'm not productive that way. Like there, there are people who would work are like tortoises that can just plow along through their work slow through and 10 hours, yeah. slow and methodic. And then there are other people who are. You know, like a, like a F1 car, like I need to refuel every 20 laps, but I can go for four hours, but then I need a break and I need to chill. And so that's more me. Like I can knock out five hours of work and I'm good. But if I sit there for 10 hours, I'm like useless. And that's another example of like your efficiency. If your efficiency just starts to decline throughout the day, would it be better to take a break? like the NBA guys, they take breathers and they come back in the game because they need the break to feel more efficient and be at their peak or hockey. They put, pl they play like one minute at a time and then they come off and then they play again. And so like you can, I can design my life that way and I'll find what, what makes me more efficient is to work in spurts. And so that's what I do. I found yeah. my biggest roadblock to efficiency right now is the global shortage of ADHD medication that everyone's experiencing. Please clarify that that's a joke. Okay, so that we don't have to trim this out. He's kidding. But, but no, I think you raised something that's interesting that's not talked about enough is when you're working a lot, even in your downtime, it's not quality, right? You're in your day-to-day, -day, you're solving big issues, you're, you're hitting walls, you're finding solutions, and then, oh, my son has a 415 baseball game. I'm going to sneak out, go to the baseball game. And that's going to be high quality time because dad was, you know, miraculously able to be there at 4 p.m. You don't have that compartmentalization. So you show up and you're a terrible version of yourself and you're yeah. on your phone. You got people that are, oh, I'm waiting for this document to come across and, you know, constant corporate waiting, waiting, waiting. And it's just so I think that's so true. When you have that ruthless efficiency, you're able to control your time the way that you are, Chris. You can actually mentally make the I don't know when you're like big law 24 seven expected to be on, even no. when you have that downtime that many people are able to actually make the shit. No. Um, so yeah, that was, that's what I was saying. Like on the weekend, I was like, I was the worst boyfriend. Cause I'm like, I don't want to do anything. Like I'm not, yeah. I'm not in the mental space. And like, and to me, I think the reason this doesn't get talked about as much is because 
like the male ego, it sounds better to just be like, I'm just roof. I work all the time. Like, look right. how many hotel nights I have, guys. It's amazing. Yeah, I'm killing it. Like, yeah. I'm killing it. I'm on the hotel. I'm on the road every night. I'm, yeah. I got to work at, like, people post, like, I'm up at 5 a.m. grinding. Like, nobody gives a shit, dude. Like. Yeah. People, the, when I what hear, does that mean? When I hear people brag about how they never pay for plane tickets because they have such amazing status yeah. and miles, I'm like, yeah, I got, I got to brag. I hear, yeah, flex, I got, I think you think yeah, I got Hilton Diamond. I'm like, do you have right. kids? Because your kids, your kids have dad ain't home if you got Hilton yeah. Diamond. Like, that's, that's yeah. the, the, oh, and to me, it just sounds so ridiculous when I see people say stuff like that. Like, that is not a, that is not a measure of productivity. Plane travel, Hotel rooms, hours spent. Yeah. Like, if I told you, Vladi Divac spent the most time at practice more than any basketball player all time, you'd be like, "Huh? I guess, I guess he, I guess that that kind of sucks because he wasn't the best." Right. Yeah. Maybe he should have done Kobe, whatever Michael Kobe Jordan did. Kobe. Yeah, like, like there's Kobe there's so, a lot of bang for his buck, you know. Yeah, the I mean, yeah, you have people like that, and they, but. But it's just to me, it's like this. That's not a. That's not. That's not a flex. That's not impressive. That doesn't mean you were productive. That doesn't mean anything. It, that means jack shit to me. That means you went to the. That's like somebody saying, "I went to the gym for two hours." Okay. Right. What'd cool. you do? Yeah, I may have been yeah. more productive in twenty minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not like, me yeah, clearly. Yeah, but, I may. My BMI is still thirty three, but I was yeah. Uh, yeah, like it doesn't. It doesn't matter. So like that kind of stuff. I just think it, it's so it's so cool to say like, oh, I worked so much or I got all this hotel. It doesn't mean shit. Like, what did you get done? What did you do? How productive were you? Well, like, what are your goals and did you reach them? That's all that matters. Yeah. Well, and you said something shortly ago, Chris, that I felt like was kind of a low key flex. Like you were trying to work it in. You said you golf every day. Are you or Oh no, I do days. not golf every day. No. <laughs> But you, but that so I asked for your day to day. You said, "Here's my, you know." My, I think Eric heard what he wanted to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, no, no. Then, but did you I, say how often you? How often are you golfing, and what does it compare to when you were at corporate? Okay, so I do go play. I do go play golf. So I, it's not what I want. It's not ideal. If 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 this was my ideal world, it wouldn't be. But I have this like one of my the course near me does like back nine tee time. So like you can tee off at the back nine as long as the people who start on the front nine have it reached. So it's like for an hour and a half in the morning, but it's like 6 a.m. So I'll go play some days at six and I'm done like 7.30 and then I start work at like eight. So those are like my late days. And then I go to the driving range a couple of times a week. So I swing a golf club four or five times a week. Fair, yes, I do. I don't, I play 18 holes. Like a full 18, maybe once every two weeks. So no, it's not, it's not where I want it to be. If it was where I wanted to be, I play 18, three times a week. But that's, that's still pretty impressive for the LA golf scene though, right? Cause isn't I don't have kids there. Well, all right. Yeah. yeah. I get up, I get up in the morning. I just do whatever I want to do. Yeah. That yeah. sounds amazing. I know. Uh, so well, it's got its well, perks. Well, yeah, no. So, so help us understand, Chris, is, is your early work day a product of your businesses being three time zones ahead? Or is that just part of your, your work ethos? Like you believe firmly up early to work early, you're more productive for, for the day. Yeah. Like, well, both. what's that? Both, both for sure. Both. Like, yeah, I do think I'm more productive early in the morning. I have more of the most energy early in the morning. And then like, I get a second. And I, part of why I go to, like, I, I have my boost in the morning, then I start to run flat. I go to the gym, I get another boost of energy. Like, that's kind of how I feel like my day is best. I eat, I get another boost of energy. But yes, I feel most productive in the morning. But also, yeah, my team starts pinging me at 5.50, 5.55, my time. So being up and alert for them is important. But there's a, but I, but mostly, yeah, I just feel like even when I'm in Florida, like I'm the first one to the office, like I get there at seven and they're just like, how long you been here? And I'm just like, I just feel better about it. But then I'll leave the office at three or four and I'll go to the gym. It's like, this is what I have to and, do. And, and you don't answer to anybody. You're just like, I'll go to the gym and you go. I'm a grown man, aren't I? <laughs> Eric has to answer to me. That's why he's asking. 
He's like, he's like, wait, there's a work environment where I don't have to slack my partner yeah. and I'm ask God, I'm God whistling the cap. Like, listen, hey, don't Eric, tell me Eric does. Cause yeah, Eric has to send me his, his shoes over before he wears oh, it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Eric, yeah I, right. must, I must admit, Eric, you're doing a much better. I've seen like some pictures and you at events. I'm very, I'm very proud of the progress that you I, made there. It's been a concerted effort, right? Cause I went, so I meet Chris and I am. I'm wearing Allbirds. I'm ashamed to even say it. I was like, yeah, that's just so, that's so that's so embarrassing. I'm wearing Allbirds, but Chris literally brings me shoes and I should have wore them today, which uh, by the way, Chris, I consider you to be one of my good friends. You probably don't feel the same way, but it's worth saying it loud. Chris brings me a, a pair of shoes, which is super cool. The but first time I we meet. Did you, first time. And I, I look at these shoes. I'm like, these shoes are way too, like, I can't wear these guys. Like, I'm just not like, you know what I mean? I'm not a cool guy. Like I'm a lot of things. I'm not a cool guy. So it's been a progression, right? If like I've got some sneakers now, and the, you know, people have been people have adopted me in the community. My wife's done a good job too, kind of forcing yeah. some more knowledge stuff on me. So we'll get there. Kevin, you yeah. you've been Kevin's always Kevin's always been Kevin's from Kevin's just from California. That's that's the, that's the California. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, you, I will say. Oh, you Florida say, people don't know the the pinnacle of my professional journey so far happened at SM bash when a, a client and friend pulled me aside on Saturday night at dinner. Cause they had noticed how many, like I had a different pair of shoes every day and asked how many pairs of, sh of sneakers I packed for the trip. And I was like, the fact that you noticed yeah. and know that about me. That's what I was you. going for. Love you, yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a good, like, I don't get a lot of compliments, right? I'm a, it's, 40 year old man. I, People don't say a lot of nice things to me. So I, yeah. I get no, I get no compliments except for my, my shoes. And it's the weirdest. It is. It's the weirdest thing. It's like the great equalizer. It's like the investment banker is like, dude, your, your J ones are amazing. The waiter at the restaurant. Oh my gosh. Coolest shoes. The cashier at the grocery store. Oh my gosh. I've never seen those dumps. Yeah. Those are amazing. It's, it's, like it's fun. Sneakers, it's fun. music, and food, man. It just brings people together. Totally. I love it. I love it. I, today is Cinco de Mayo, so I'm going to be living Moss tonight, if you guys know what I'm talking about. We, uh, we, we, we do know what that. We're glad you got a couple of Spanish words in here. We're going to get you cultured by the, by episode 10. Well, it's no, that wasn't my, my poor man's attempt to speak Spanish. It was a reference to a certain taco chain. Yeah, we know. I'm sure, I'm sure it's popular down in Orlando. I love explaining, I love having to explain a joke. That's what so first of all, food is in Orlando. first of all, yeah, first of all, this, all right, so my, my, I've been to Orlando like two times. My main beef with Orlando is you guys have so many chains, food-wise. It doesn't make any sense. that Like, every chain in America is in Orlando. I, I have a ton of beefs with Orlando. I live in a quiet part behind Disney. <laughs> Golf courses, one Mexican restaurant, and it's really good. And actually, my wife and I were laughing because we we're like, there's no way you go there tonight because you're not getting in because there's oh, nothing yeah. else. You got to get through a chain of lakes to get over to Restaurant Row at Disney. And you, there's, I would sooner jump a flight and fly to LA than I would go to Orlando today. So I'm, yeah. I'm with you. Well, I'm going to have some good um, tacos today for sure. So, Chris, you're, you're doing all this. You're, you're, you quit Wall Street, quit the big salary. You're flying to Tampa regularly. You're getting up at 5 a.m. because your businesses are two time zones away. You're close with your efficiency to getting yourself out of the business. What was it worth it? Where's this going? What advice do you have for people who are trying to follow in your shoes? Yeah, I think one, it was definitely worth it. Like I, I'm still doing it and I will continue to do it. And I think that's the best indicator of if someone thinks what they're doing is, is worthwhile. So people say a lot of stuff on Twitter, like, this isn't for everybody, or you shouldn't do this, or you should do this. If they're doing it and they're continuing to do it, it's worthwhile. That's number one. So yes, it's worthwhile. I would like to acquire more businesses, preferably in the same space I'm in now, but open to other B2B type businesses. Just depends what comes down the pipe. Is it comes down the pike or it comes down the pipe? I think it can be either one. I think I'm, that's a great question, Chris. <laughs> I, I always when I say when I say it, I kind of mumble it so nobody like it. <laughs> like, did I hear you correctly? Right? So I did anyway. that recently with nip. I was I I had said for years nip it in the butt. 
and it is my wife said that it. she thought it was nipping definitely not it yeah i'm like Which no makes... it's the butt um it's the butt but the, the google and miriam webster is saying it's pike with a k pike okay coming down so pike. give her give us the historical origins of pike. yeah yeah what what's is coming pike? down the pike well pike is like a like a turnpike right like a like a windy road down a hill okay. right so coming down the pike means it's like on its okay. way down okay it's, but a, a, a pike could also a pike could also go uphill fair it could i i suppose you're right then coming down the pike wouldn't it wouldn't really be coming it it'd be going it, it, if yeah. it had an engine it could still come i guess but that's, like that's water right. could come down the pike but water couldn't go up the pike so coming down the pike makes sense. Yes, coming down the pike is coming yeah. down hill. Two five. That's right. So okay, okay. So we learned something new. So coming down the pike, yeah, and yeah, I I want to continue, and I think I'm. I don't know. I I want to finally use my Twitter to. I think start a business. I think um I've been thinking a lot about adjacent businesses and SM or things like all SMB people want or need. And I would I would definitely be thinking so similar to you guys who started the law firm, I would I would be interested in starting something that services the people at SMB, whether that's Q of E or helping to hire VAs or train VAs. Yeah. Just stuff I have experience with. You think professional services? Yeah. I would I would like a professional services business. And and I would love to like partner with someone who has the skills and I have like the distribution to do it. But, but yeah, that, that, that to me is the next step. I, I enjoy the community. I think I probably have more, I should probably unleash some of my more spicy takes, but I, 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 I keep it pretty PG on my I think Twitter, you're already pretty, is this not the spicy version? You think I'm spicy? <laughs> what do you think, Kevin? Kevin, you think I'm spicy on Twitter? I think uh, spicy is not the right word. I think you are. I think you are strategically, I think you strategically push the right kind of buttons Okay. when you need to, but I wouldn't call you not, not in the way Eric is. I mean, Eric's pretty polemic on, on Twitter. Yeah. Like, like, cause I would, like, I would just describe you as spicy. You're unforgiving, Chris. You, you have a tendency, oh, particularly there's one issue in particular that you, I think is, is your biggest pet peeve if I, if I were betting. And that is when service providers chime in on important matters in business buying, because you're like, y'all don't have a personal, I'm breaking out my Southern accent. Y'all don't have a personal guarantee. You, you've never sat in the, in the seat, step aside and let Fair. the adults who actually been at the table talk. Fair. And that's, that's something that I actually think is, is fantastic. That's not bigger than my great with Auburn's, but yes, that that's probably number two. So yes, I do. I, I think. I think there are some bad actors in the space. I think that there are people who give shitty advice in the space. And then I think that there are people who just aren't helpful. Like just giving your, like just giving a dissenting opinion with no help for anyone or no like outreach to anyone. I think it's just, it's so selfish to me. It's like, Hey, look at me. I have a different opinion than everyone else. And I'm not here to assist anybody in bringing them along my journey or helping them along their journey and finding my path. I'm just here to fucking talk shit. Uh, I think there's a lot of people like that. I, I don't. We like can that. we can edit this out, but I want you to be more specific. Are you talking about a particular person or a t- particular type of post? Give it. Give us. Give us as concrete of an example as you can. Sure. Without making it. Yeah. Content. So. If someone says hiring virtual assistants is stupid, and like that's, that's it. just it, you're talking about just generic trolls that we get. We all well, no, it's not even. Sometimes it's not response. Sometimes there are valuable people in the community that say things like that. Like there's never, they'll say there's never an instance where you should do X. Right. That's yeah. stupid. And so I think like operators. Operators operate in us in this silo in this small space. Like I have two businesses, but they're in one region, in one industry, in one niche. Yeah. And for me to like say that something doesn't work is just that blows my mind. 
And so like you have other people who are like professorial who will say like, oh, you know, they have no substance behind what they're saying, but they've studied, they've done research. They know a lot of stuff. Like a guy on Twitter today, this is just an example. He said like a jobs number came out today and I think like the unemployment rate went down. And so he said, what, what do you call it in the economy where the government data contradicts everything you're seeing in the world? He's like, is there a word for it? Out on the numbers. Yeah. So he's like, is there a word for it where everything you're seeing in the real world is different from what the government is telling you the numbers are? I'm like, yeah, the word's anecdotal. Like, you have no fucking clue what's going on in the country because yeah, yeah. you live yeah. in, I don't know, you live in Seattle, right? Like, yeah. that's your purview. Yeah. And so for people to like, like there are people that I respect, there are people who are really trying to find their way, trying to find out if SMB is for them. And like comments that are so strongly held that have no, that have no research or basis around them to me, like don't do anything for anybody. It's just like, oh, SMB is hard, you know, like stuff like that. I'm just like, this is useless dialogue in the public space. You're not adding anything. You're not. Give me some examples. You're not talking about your story. You're just making a controversial post for engagement. And that to me is like useless. And I, I really am interested in people who are helpful, who want to see people succeed. And if people want to do SMB, like that yeah. are willing to help. So my thing is always like, I'm not here to tell you this is a good thing or a bad thing. I can say it's been a good thing for me. But if this is something that you want to pursue, you can contact me and I can help you. I can connect you with the red, connect a ton of people to you guys. I connect people to Q of E people, all this stuff. But to me, like our, in the, in the public space, your job is to like help navigate people to an answer. And so that answer could be yes. That answer could be no for SMB. But like, for me, if somebody decides this is what they want to do, I want to help them do that. And maybe that's a, like a, maybe that's a different perspective coming as like a minority. And like not knowing anybody in the space and not knowing what goes on in the space and not, and feeling like kind of left out of cover. Cause even this conversation we're having now, I know I'm rambling, but this conversation we're having now, all the people, like I don't have kids. I don't own a house. I live in Los Angeles. I'm not a white guy. Like I don't fit any of like the normal who a SMB person is. So you feel like an outsider all the time. Like I see stuff, people say stuff on Twitter. I'm just like. A minority would never say that or never think that or like, but you know, I leave it alone. This is it's their perspective. It's fine. But like for the people who don't feel like they have a place or don't feel like they have a voice or feel like they're lost to me, that was me. So it's like, or that's still me. Like I created a peer group because all the other peer groups just felt like 10 white guys. And I'm like, I don't really want to be in that. Like that doesn't, it's not cool to me. And so that's the type I'm trying to just create a space for people to say, I don't know what I want to do. I'm confused. I need some guidance. Should I read this book? Should I engage this law firm? Should I go to this person for Q of E? I can help guide you through that. Um, I know enough people in the space to do that. And so hopefully you come to a more informed decision, but I know that was a long answer to what you asked, but yeah, no, I just I... think that there are people in the space that are fucking useless. You, so you, you and I, we're going to have to edit that out there, Chris, or maybe we won't, we'll let it ride. But, um, that was good. I didn't say anything about anybody. No, no, no. They were cussed at the end. But it, it, we'll, This is going to be a non-cussing podcast. <laughs> Eric, he didn't even, he didn't even mention your name when he was talking about his yeah. interaction. <laughs> this is going to be a non-cussing Well, no, I, Chris, Bleep I think it. you're, you and I, I think I align with you on that, right? Because there is, there is two, two threads of pushback. Put, thread number one is... People get upset when people say that this is easy, right? That entrepreneurship is too easy. You make it sound and they get mad. They're like, you're. No one says stuff. it's easy. Let's be well, clear. No one some says people that. Over, they, they, perhaps over glamorize. And people get, people justifiably who are killing themselves running difficult businesses are like, what are you doing? Right. And yeah. I, I get that. The yep. other is what your, your ethos, what you're saying, you hate when people are overly negative and make it sound you know, too difficult to obtain. And that resonates with me more than the former because 
everybody comes into the space and I see the comments now constantly of, yeah, well, it would be great to buy a business or great to be an entrepreneur if I had 5 million bucks, you know, and I want to grab those people. And I want to go, no, 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 like quit selling yourself short, right? Quit being overly negative. There are a ton of people that are going out and buying $3 million enterprise value businesses that are putting in 50 to hundred K you know, that they've earned over a decade and are keeping 85 to 90% of the business. Anyone can do this. You don't have to bring anything to the table. As a matter of fact, there are ways into entrepreneurship, whether it's buying a business or starting a business that doesn't require it. And let me get you resources. Let me be helpful, right? And you're not going to, I'm not going to, I'm never going to post a meme that's hilarious that's going to result in somebody going all the way through and buying a business that they shouldn't otherwise buy. That's just Correct. ridiculous, right? So us being positive and being, you know, encouraging and promoting the concept and providing resources to me, I think is fantastic, but you do meet a lot of pushback or people. I had some yeah. the other days, you don't talk enough about the downside. I'm like, no, I talk a lot about the downside and, and the difficulty. It just doesn't get traction because nobody yeah. wants to hear negativity. The algorithm buries all that. And all my stuff about how to do it goes screaming well, it's, to a million It's human nature, man. Like any novel, any movie. Like the good guy doesn't fucking die at the end. Like that hardly ever happens. Like it's against human nature to just want negativity. And so for yeah. me, like when I was in high school, this is a great example. Like my, most of my family worked in the automotive industry. I didn't know, like I knew like postal carriers and teachers. Like I didn't know anyone. Like for what I know of wealth and rich, what wealthy is now, I didn't know anyone like that growing up. Same. So in high school, I just used to go online and I used to just like look at starting salaries of like lawyers and read uh, entrepreneur magazines and ink and stuff like that. And just like get inspired. Like, oh, this is possible. This is this is possible for me. And so to me, all I want to do is to show people that something like this is possible. I can give you the resources that you need to like get on the right track, but it's possible. And I think so many people are like, hey, you don't need to talk about this in this way because it's negative or like there are a lot of downsides to it. And to me, it's like, I didn't even know this existed. Like, I didn't know small business buying existed until my third job. And I worked on Wall Street. I didn't know like there was like plenty. I was an m lawyer. Made... I was yeah. an m lawyer. Somebody brought me the HBR guide at lunch and he was like, you should buy a business. And I was like, you're out of your mind. Buy a business? Like I'm going to buy a business. I was an exactly. m lawyer at the time. Yeah. He ended up five hundred million dollars. What are you talking right, about? Right, right, like, I'm, right. Yeah, I'm gonna go buy. Yeah, he ended up being one of our first clients. Bought an amazing business. He's killing it, and he's like, "Why didn't I do this sooner?" Yeah, it's just a path. It's just a path. Just like people, it's no different than law. Like everyone knows, law is a path you can take. The law firms are out there preaching, like, "Hey, like some of these guys make you work twenty four seven. That's not getting people in the door. That's not getting people excited about the opportunity." So the opportunity is vast. Yeah, there are pitfalls along the way for sure. But like people don't advertise that to get people in the door. Like now, if you get somebody who's in the gritty, nitty gritty of it, sure. Like once somebody is like, I'm, I'm about to send out an LOI, I connect them with someone else that's in that industry. Sure. Talk to right. this person. They're going to give you the real deal. But someone who's just expressing interest and maybe wants to know about it, maybe doesn't know anything about it, maybe as a woman, maybe as a minority that doesn't have that background and doesn't know people in the space. The last thing I want to say is like, shit is awful. Like, because it's not. People have made life, life yeah. generating decisions and returns based on this industry and based on this asset class. And to turn someone away from that that doesn't know about it at all, to me, is a disservice to the people who are outside the bubble of SMB who don't have a friend or a neighbor who owns a business or owns a small business. Like that was me growing up. So if you highlighted all the negatives to me, then I'd be like, no, of course I'm not going to do that. But there are people who have life-changing outcomes from this and like to steer people away from that because of whatever reason to me is, it's just, it's, it's unnecessary. And I think it, gatekeeps the people that are already in the space and there are tons of women and tons of minorities who have no connection to smb you guys went to smb bash i'm sure you like i heard feedback even sam gave me feedback on what who was there and like 
how do you change that? You don't change that by being negative on Twitter and explaining all the negatives about it. All the people are in there because they believe in it. And if all of you guys believe in it, then it's okay to say that. And it's okay to say like, hey, this is something that can change your life because it can. It's not a get rich quick scheme. Well, and I think that's the key, right? The more, the more you can educate people that being wealthy doesn't mean being Elon Musk or being Jeff Bezos, right? Building an empire that few people in history will ever even know. But when you can point out like, Hey, you can buy a commercial cleaning company, like a commercial janitorial company in Tampa, Florida and build time and financial wealth. Like all of a sudden a world of possibilities opens yep. up to people that just never, never knew. that was never a possibility. They thought it was going to be the 45 year grind at GM and hope that damn pension there is at the end. hundred percent. Right? And yeah, that's, that's what I love about this space. A hundred percent. Hey, yeah. we're, Go ahead. we're short on time, Chris, we yep. could, we could talk for hours, but I appreciate, appreciate you making time. I know we talked a lot about Twitter. A lot of people know us from Twitter. Feel free to shout out if you if you want to tell people how to find you, whether that's through Twitter or otherwise. Uh, no, if you can't find me, you don't deserve to find me. Love it. Be- best response ever. He's he's at Chris X Mun M U N N Mundane Millionaire on Twitter. Chris, thanks so much for coming on the pod, man. This was thanks and thanks for naming the pod after me. I appreciate it. You got it. Absolutely. Man. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mundane Millionaires. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, make sure to follow Mundane Millionaires wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. See you next time.